live feed because of COVID, so thankful to be here. As I was preparing to start this trip, I was thinking about whether or not I should take a jacket. And I thought, now that's ridiculous. They're having a heat wave in Alabama. There's no need to take a jacket. But yesterday, I would have been very glad to have had my jacket. And I hear some of the rest of you would like to have had one. And I think I only survived because my granddaughter covered me up with a blanket. So this morning, I have borrowed a jacket. And I may wind up having to take it off if it gets too warm. But uh, I, I've always been a little mystified with Southerners. I, I've spent a lot of time in the South over the past number of years going on preaching appointments. Of course, I live up north where the weather is colder, and I think, why do these Southerners not appreciate the warmth they have? Because they turn the air conditioners up as far as they'll go, and then in many homes, they have a fan to blow the cold air down your shirt collar. <laughs> so uh, I enjoy warm weather, and thankful to be able to come south and get a special dose of it. Our subject, teach us to pray. Reading from Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Verse 9, after this manner therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now some want to argue about the title of this prayer. Some want to call it the Lord's Prayer. And others the Disciples' Prayer. And others the Model Prayer. Well, the fact it is a prayer given us by the Lord, and it was to his disciples, and it is a model, so we won't argue over the title. We'll just look at the lesson. It's um, in the first section, it all pertains to God's glory, his name, his kingdom, his will. The second section, then, is man's need, his daily bread, forgiveness, and the issue of temptation. Now we note that there are no singular pronouns in this prayer. As part of God's family, we have no right to pray for anything that would not be for the good of others that are in this family. So we pray our Father. So the first thing we note says, Our Father, which art in heaven. Now, not all can call him Father. There are 
religious groups that hold to the idea of the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. But that's foreign to Scripture. Not everybody can call God Father. By nature, men are alienated from God. Romans 5.10 says, For if when ye were enemies, you were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, ye shall be saved by his life. So as a result of Adam's fall, all of us in our natural state being related to Adam are not the friends of God, but his enemies. Uh, We would prefer that there be no God because that means we're accountable to him. And therefore, by our fallen, rebellious nature, we cannot claim that he is our father. Now, he is the creator, and we recognize him as being ruler and sovereign over all. But we can only call him father if we've been adopted into his family through Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 2 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them which believe on his name. So a person who has not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior cannot call him Father. Not something that's available to all the religions of the earth. It's a privilege to those who are in Jesus Christ and have come to him by faith. And think of it. What a privilege to be called the sons of God. To be able to call God Father. John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Now you just think about it. We, we're in the habit of coming in prayer and praying, O Father, hear us, our Father which art in heaven. And you get accustomed to that But when you stop to think about the fact that all of us are rebels by nature, corrupt, polluted sinners, deserving absolutely nothing, and to think that we can call God our Father, what amazing grace, what a privilege to be able to call upon him on such intimate terms. Beloved, Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's a wonderful thing we have to look forward to. We have our trials and difficulties and disappointments here at the present time, but to know that someday he shall appear and we shall be like him, conform to his image, and be with him forever. Ever. It does not yet appear. We don't see all of the details and intricacies of it, but we shall be like him and see him as he is. We've been singing about him, praying to him. We've been reading about him, hearing preaching about him, but think one day of seeing him. We shall see him as he is. So what a privilege we have to be able to pray our Father. Our Father, The second thing is, hallowed be thy name. This is to attribute to God the holiness that 
is his and always has been. God is absolutely holy. And that's something beyond our ability to really fathom. Because everything that we are and everything we're surrounded with is contaminated by sin. But God is absolutely holy. And you remember the experience when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up and heard the angelic chorus singing, holy, holy, holy. What was his response? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. Hallowed be thy name. means to revere, to honor, to glorify his name. And we can see the importance of that even in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. And notice that this is a petition. It's not just a declaration that God's name is hallowed, that God's name is holy, but it is a request. It is a petition. We're praying that his name will be treated with reverence. Certainly that's the desire of the heart of every believer, that God's name will be honored and treated with reverence. In this day, there is great disrespect shown for his name, actually. With some, it's made a part of daily speech, sometimes to express surprise, sometimes to express frustration. And if you're around people that talk that way, if you're not careful, you will, without realizing it, be caught up to use God's name inappropriately. The only time, the only way in which we should ever use God's name is with utmost respect, honoring him. Hallowed be thy name. Because if we show disrespect for his name, we're showing disrespect for God. So there are many ways in which we can hallow his name, uh, embracing the truth about him, embracing the truth that's been revealed about him, about, we've already mentioned, his holiness, or the truth about his sovereignty. The truth of God's sovereignty permeates this prayer. We recognize that our God is in the heavens, he is in charge, he rules and reigns, recognizing his absolute sovereignty. This is one way of giving honor to his name. Recognize his grace. Somebody says, oh, well, see, that's I, I believe in salvation by grace, but I also believe I had to do my part. But God's name is not hallowed with that kind of a declaration. God's name is praised and honored when we give him all the glory. Salvation is all of the Lord. And we hallow his name when we are constantly mindful of his presence. Psalm 16, 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Now think about that a minute. Can you say, I have set the Lord always before me? Are there not times when you become so interested in the affairs of this life and in ways in which you might be entertained that the Lord is not before you? You're not thinking about him. Don't you know that if we constantly had him set before us, realize that our whole life is lived in the presence of God, there are some things we've said we wouldn't have said, some things that we've done we never would have done, 
if it was on our mind at that moment, I'm in the presence of God. God sees me and observes all that I do. So we must, in all of our thoughts, words, and actions, have the Lord ever before us. And then a verse that's been quoted here several times already that indicates we hallow his name by living obediently. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, I already talked about the Pharisees who liked to pray in the synagogue and on the street corners so people could be impressed and say, my, aren't those men devotedly religious? And any time we cross the line and we're doing something because we want to be recognized, uh, we're not honoring God. I remember years ago, I was uh, preaching in a church out in Texas and talking about how we ought to be diligent in ministering to others. And it's so easy to be, become selfish and be thinking about our own interests and not thinking about helping others. And a young man came up to me and said, Preacher, I was really convicted by that sermon. I, I, I know there are many opportunities to help people and I just don't do it. So I said, well, I'll pray the Lord will help you to do something about it. I came back the next year at the same church, and when service was over, this same young man pulled me aside. He said, well, preacher, I tried doing what you said. I picked out this family that I knew had a lot of problems, and I just devoted myself to them. I took them to doctor's appointments. I took them food that they needed. I did everything imaginable. And you know what? They never even said they appreciated it. And so he said, I quit. I said, well, that's good. You think it's good that I quit? I said, yeah, because you were in it for the wrong reason. You wanted to be appreciated. You wanted them to talk about what a great job you were doing. If you were doing it to the glory of God, you'd keep doing it, even if nobody appreciated it. And so we're to let our good works be shown for one purpose, and that is to glorify your Father in heaven. Then the prayer continues, thy kingdom come. We're requesting that Christ's rule be manifest in the world. It is our great desire to see his kingdom advance. In 2 Thessalonians, the apostle said this, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Pray that as we're preaching, as we're traveling wherever the Lord may lead and proclaiming the gospel, that the word of the Lord will have free course. It'll be like a rushing river. No obstacle stops it. It just continues to go right on and then it might be glorified. How is the word of the Lord glorified? It's when people believe it, when they embrace it and say, yes, I see that's the truth. That reaches my case and I, I rejoice in the truth that God is sovereign and salvation is by his grace. And that should forever be our desire that we are praying. May the kingdom of God be advanced. May the gospel, the word of the Lord, flow freely. And not only that, but we look forward to that time, the day when Christ's exaltation will be manifest. Philippians 2.9 Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow all things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Doesn't, doesn't that give a thrill to your heart to know there's coming a day that every tongue, people today who re- ridicule the message of Jesus, people today who say, that's folly, I wouldn't believe that at all, but there's coming a day every tongue will have to confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And so we pray, thy kingdom come. Lord, may we see it being advanced now, and may we look to that happy day when it will be greatly displayed. Then he says, thy will be done. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, God's sovereign will is always done, which we would call his decretive will. Whatever God has decreed, it's going to come to pass. Isaiah 46, 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now that's pretty strong language, isn't it? If you believe God's word is inspired and you read that, you can't come to any other conclusion but what God determines, what he purposes, what he decrees is going to come to pass. I will do all my pleasure. And that's not just an Old Testament truth. We come to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 11. No stronger statement anywhere in the Bible than what we read here. Speaking of Christ, the apostle says, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will. Didn't say he works some of the things, part of the things. Would like to do a lot of things that he can't do because he just doesn't have the power to do it. No, he works all things according to the counsel of his own will. But we're praying for his perspective will, the will of his precepts to be done. His commandments are not kept. God's decree is sure, steadfast, but he commands us to do some things that we don't do. And so his precepts are often ignored, but we are praying, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now, his will is always done in heaven without any question, without any objection, without any complaint, without any hesitation. Psalm 103, verse 20 Bless the Lord, ye his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. So the angels in heaven immediately respond. Whatever is commanded to them, they do it. In heaven then his will is done. It's not just studied, it's not just analyzed, it's not just debated. Oh, how much time is spent by Christians debating the will of God, trying to determine, well, just what is it? And what would God have me to do? What's his will for my life? But that's not the point. Thy will be done, not just discussed, not analyzed, but thy will be done to do what he has commanded us. In heaven, his will is not only done, but it's done constantly. Revelation 7, 15, therefore... Are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple? (coughs) 
in earth. We sometimes forget his will. We can come to a meeting like this, our minds be stirred. I, I, I want to do better about serving God and then get busy with the many distractions of life and have forgotten his will. Sometimes we execute it with zeal. We're excited. We want to do what God would have us to do. And other times we grow cold and are indifferent about it. But praying for his will to be done, we should be actively learning more about his will. What, what, what is the will of God for me? Well, I must surrender my will and learn of his. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, for the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. All right, how are you going to prove the perfect and acceptable will of God? You're going to do it as your mind is renewed. Then how is it going to be renewed? By hearing it preached, by reading it, by meditating on it, by studying God's will in his, as revealed in his word. Now, many of his precepts are very plain. I've talked to some people, I just don't understand the Bible. It's just far too complicated. I don't, I don't understand it. Now, I admit there are some challenging portions of Scripture, and we're not may not be able to give a clear exposition of all of them. But there's some, it's not that difficult. He says, be ye holy, for I am holy. And you have a hard time understanding that? Say, well, that's, that's impossible. Well, yes, they're not going to be equal with God, but that's the goal. Now, if he had said, well, you're not going to reach that, so what about 75%? Be ye 75% holy. Say, well, that's too high for me. Let's get it down to 50. Well, no, I'm going to have to get it down a little farther than that. So God sets the goal as the perfect standard. Be ye holy, for I am holy. And then you say, well, I, I want to know God's will for me. Well, First Thessalonians 4, 3, he says, for this is the will of God. All right, you're going to tell us something that is a part of God's will. Even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication. We've heard a good message during this meeting about abstaining from sinful, fleshly lust. And it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your spiritual progress, your growth in grace, that ye should abstain from fornication. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, pray without ceasing. That's been emphasized adequately here this morning. You continue to pray. Say, well, just so much I don't understand. Do you understand this? Pray without ceasing. That's, that's hard to do, but not hard to understand, is it? So he gives us clear instruction. And then chapter 5, verse 18 in First Thessalonians, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks. Oh, that we might always have thankful hearts. I was counseling with a lady one time, and she just was full of complaints. Nothing was going right. Everything was wrong. So I gave her the assignment. I said, all right, 
over this next week, I want you to make a list of the things that you're thankful for, and then we're going to talk about them when you come back next week. She came in the next week and laid a blank piece of paper on my desk. I said, you mean you don't have anything to be thankful for? I couldn't think of it. I said, how did you get here this morning? I drove a car. Whose is it? Mine. And put that on the list, car. I said, uh, how, how, how did you uh, pay for the gasoline? Oh, I had the money to pay for it. Put on the list, money for the gasoline. And we just went down some basic things that she'd overlooked. We had a whole page full in a little while. Now, how easy it is for us to get the grumbles and the complaints and fail to give thanks. Giving thanks to him is in accord with the will of God. And we pray Thy will be done in me as an earthen vessel. We can truly put to our hearts the words of the song, All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all. That, that's a difficult thing for us in the weakness of our flesh to surrender all. Say, Lord, I, I, I give up. I'm no longer going to fight for what I want and make it my way. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. What about some of you today? Can you say, I'm a believer, but I've never been baptized? I find that many times with Young people will say, well, I, I'm, I plan to do that someday. I, I plan after I graduate from school and I get permanently settled, then I, I'm, I'm going to be baptized. Well, if you're praying today, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, be done in me, and you believe Jesus Christ died for you, paid your sin debt, has drawn you to himself by faith, you're a true believer, why would you hesitate? to be identified with him publicly, confessing your faith and following him in the ordinance of baptism. Amen. So as we pray, thy will be done, let's be ready to be surrendered and do just that. Then the prayer continues, give us this day our daily bread. In this we express our need and our complete dependence upon the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is the giver of so many wonderful gifts. So when we're praying, give us this day our daily bread, we're looking to him, expressing our dependence upon him. Now, God can provide miraculously. He rained down manna for the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness. Jesus fed 5,000 and 4,000 on another occasion. All of this miraculously done. But generally when he provides our daily needs, our daily bread, he does it through work. The Apostle Paul said the man that won't work is not worthy to be called a child of God. He's like an infidel. He's like an unbeliever. So we have to work, and yet we're depending on God to provide for us. I was preaching at a little church up in the mountains of Kentucky. 
I wasn't old enough to drive, so I had to ride the train up there. And then there was a man from the little town would pick me up and drive me out to the community known as Bratton Branch. Would leave me off of the highway, and then I would walk down this little dirt road to stay with one of the members. Well, one Sunday, I was always depending on somebody to take me home for Sunday dinner. Because there were no restaurants nearby, there was no grocery store, there was no way to provide for myself, so I was depending on them. But one by one, people kept leaving, and I was beginning to be just a little anxious. I thought, I wonder what's going to happen today. They're just about all gone. Finally, they were all gone except one sister. She said, well, preacher, I wasn't planning on it, but I guess you're going to have to go home with me today. There's nobody else to take you. I said, well, I'm available. So <laughs> we walked down the little dirt road to get to her house, and when we got in the yard, she says, see that chicken running over there? That's our Sunday dinner. She said, if you'll kill that, I'll cook it. I said, well, I've had a lot of experience with chickens. I used to raise chickens, so I'll not only kill it, I'll cut it up and dress it for you and make it ready. And I did, and she cooked it. And so as we sat there eating that chicken for our Sunday dinner, I was thankful the Lord had provided it, but I was also had been perfectly willing to participate in seeing to it that the chicken was in the proper form when it was going to be cooked. So we pray, give us this day our daily bread, but we know that work is appropriate and part of the picture. Now we can rely on his promises, all right, to provide for us. Verse 26 in this sixth chapter of Matthew, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, neither gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? I like to eat breakfast out on my back porch in the morning when the sun is coming up and it's just so, um, well, just a refreshing time. And to see, hear the birds sing, just a lot of birds are out singing at that morning that time of the morning, and I think I see a little bird out on a tree limb singing a song that I enjoy, and I think, little bird, you don't know anything about this, but my Heavenly Father is the one that feeds you. He takes care of you, and we're reminded that if our Father takes care of the birds and feeds them, are you not much better than they? And when we still doubt and have questions in our mind, he then says, in verse 30, O ye of little faith. How sad that we can talk on one hand about believing in the sovereignty of God, the power of God, and the grace of God, and yet when things look a little bumpy, we begin to worry. Worry. Worry is a sin. Worry never fixed anything, but it ruins a lot of things. We are to trust in him because he has promised. What a comfort to remember that he cares for us. And we ask for daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Many people today have a freezer full. It'll keep them for a month or two if need be. But back in the days when Jesus was 
I set him forth this prayer people didn't have refrigeration and way of keeping things and it was a crucial matter for them that each day be supplied one day at a time. Well, we don't want to get too um, feeling self-sufficient because of our freezers because uh, uh, we had a tornado up our way recently and a lot of people lost everything that was in their freezers when the power went out. The fact is we're just to learn the lesson that in every category, whether it's for daily bread or the bread of life or whatever our need may be, it's on a daily basis. You can't uh, uh, say, well, I've, I've prayed up for a while. I've, I've taken care of things for the next month or so. No, it's each day we must come to him with a humble spirit acknowledging our need of him. And then he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This brings us face to face with the fact that we are in debt to God. We by nature are sinners, have violated his law, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. With just one sin, of course we're born with Adam's nature, but one sin is enough to bring us under, under condemnation. Uh, how many times have you heard people say today, well, you know, everybody is entitled to one mistake. Now, if that were true, you think you've used yours up yet? Being entitled to one mistake wouldn't carry you very far, would it? But the fact is that one sin alienates us from God. And rather than to say we're entitled to one mistake, the only thing we're entitled to, to, to is everlasting punishment. Because since God is holy and hates sin, he will see to it that sinners are punished. And the only possibility of escaping that punishment is that we're in Christ Jesus, who through his perfect sacrifice puts sin away and saves us by his grace. <coughs> oh, excuse me, I don't know. <laughs> create such commotion. I guess that'd be a good way to wake people up periodically. <laughs> so we're at enmity against God by nature until brought in fellowship with him by his grace. And when you think about that God is omniscient. God sees and knows everything. That, that, that's a little troubling, isn't it? You possibly have said some things and done some things that you hope your parents do not know about. But I can assure you this, you've never said anything, you've never done anything that God doesn't know about. He sees it all. He is omniscient. Everything about us, he knows. So that brings us to give thanks that there is forgiveness through Jesus Christ. He paid the debt at the cross that we could never pay. Now, we daily confess our sins, although if we're in Christ, the atonement has been made, the debt is canceled, but to maintain fellowship with the Lord, we continue to confess our sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful promise. Now, I've talked to people who say, well, I... I've confessed my sin, but I don't feel forgiven. This verse doesn't have anything to do with how you feel. This has to do with the faithfulness of God. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. What a blessing we have. 
and then we ask him to forgive us as we have forgiven others. Now think about it a minute. If you're asking God to forgive you on the same basis that you've forgiven others, where does that put you? Is there a possibility that you really wouldn't want to be forgiven on that basis because you know that there are a lot of things you have not forgiven others? And so that calls for heart searching. Lord, search me. Make me to know what's within me. We may have the mistaken notion, oh, I don't hold any bitterness. I don't hold any resentment. I've forgiven everybody that's harmed me. But when you pray, Lord, show me. That's the prayer of the psalmist. Try me. Make me to know what's within me. And after you pray that a few times, you may wish you hadn't prayed because the Lord shows you more than you wanted to see. But when you see it, you have to come and confess, Lord, forgive me. I do want to be completely forgiven, and I want to be able to pray in sincerity, forgive me even as I have forgiven others their trespasses. Verse 15 says, If ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Next he says, Lead us not into temptation. Now God does not tempt us. James 1.13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So it's not a prayer, Lord, don't tempt me, because God's not going to tempt anybody. It's a prayer that we be delivered from the evil one. Jesus passed through a time of testing when Satan was taking him up into the mountain and tempted him. He knows what it is. And therefore, he teaches us to pray, Father, spare us from the attacks of Satan. Protect us from his fiery darts. Lead us not into the place where we are apt to be tempted. Don't leave us to ourselves. Keep us from circumstances where we might be tempted and overcome. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And when you've gone to the Lord and sought his help, you can rest assured that Satan will not only tempt, but he will often accuse you and try to rob you of your peace and your joy in the Lord. Finally, he says, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The prayer then concludes with a chorus of praise. Praising God is something that we do in our singing. It's something we ought to do in our praying. It's something we ought to do on a daily basis in every area of life. Psalm 33, 1, Rejoice in the Lord, O righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise is beautiful. Praise is right. Praise is appropriate. Psalm 135, 1, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the name of the Lord. Praise him, O ye servants of the Lord. For thine is the kingdom. He is absolutely the sovereign. The kingdom is his. He rules over all. Thine is the kingdom and the power. All power is his. Psalm 135, verse 6 Whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. Whatever pleased the Lord, he did it. 
Nothing was ever too hard for the Lord. And that ought to encourage us in our prayer. We claim that promise in Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. And the glory. All glory belongs to him. Romans eleven thirty six. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And then verse 13 puts the amen into the conclusion of the prayer. Let's say this together. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you believe that, I think you can say it a little louder than that. Let's say it again. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.